Today's Bible reading, Wayne's going to be teaching us in just a moment, but if you want to open the scriptures to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 9, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. Who's speaking this? Jesus. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Thanks, Julie. Good morning again, everybody. Grief does funny things to you, and uh, you begin to remember things when you're old like me. That your mum said to you when you were younger. So, and I remember one of the, one of my mum's sayings about um, coming coming home from church some some days. She would she would comment about it, people looked like they'd been sucking lemons. So, you never want to be guilty of sucking a lemon in church. You want to be guilty of joy. You can be guilty of, of grieving over your sin, but you don't want to be bored. You don't want to be looking like you've been sucking a lemon. Um, so, Sacred Assembly uh, is really a way for us to embody what we sang. Grateful love, I pour it all out at your feet. Extravagant devotion to Jesus. Really, Sacred Assembly is a window of time to say, God, I want to offer you over and above what I normally offer you. I want to pour out all of my love in gratitude because I understand how much I've been forgiven, as, I, as Julie shared in that. So Sacred Assembly is such an important thing and it is so important to plan so that you don't get to the end of it and go, gee, I wish I'd thought about that a bit more. Now's the time to be thinking about it. Now's the time to be preparing for it. All right. Well, today's Father's Day and fathers come in different shapes and sizes and quality. Most of the men that I know are decent dads, but sadly, not all of them are. And I'm not going to say much about your dad or my dad. Um... In a group this size, there's going to be a range of emotions today, as there is with Mother's Day as well. As there is on every Sunday, there's always a range of emotions in the room. But today, some will have joy uh, as you think about their father. Some will have grief 
Others will have pain and some might even have anger when you think about your father. And today's my first Father's Day without my dad. Uh, but I'm not the only one in that situation and I'm not unique by any stretch of that imagination. Uh, my relationship with my dad lasted uh, 59 and a bit years and it went through many changes. And of course, I can only speak from my perspective. I can't speak of the changes from his perspective, if you understand what I'm talking about. See, you know, I related to my dad, first of all, as a child. And I can't remember too much about that. But obviously, I went through childhood, right? And then I transitioned at some point and became a teenager and a young adult. And my relationship with my dad changed. And I'm sure from his perspective, it changed as well, because I know that having been a father and having gone through different changes in my relationship with my own sons. Then I started work and my relationship with my dad changed again. It changed again when I got married. It changed again when we were serving together on the church board. And then it changed again when I became a father and then went through different things. And then when my dad retired, my relationship with my dad changed again. And then as his health declined and he entered aged care, it changed again. So our relationships go through different seasons. And that's what key thing I want you to take away today. That your relationship with your father and your relationship with God will go through different seasons and different changes. And that you ought not to be surprised by that. Because what you're after is, is the relationship maturing and growing? Sometime in July, I think it was, I was thinking about what kind of message I might bring this morning. Unbeknownst of all that was about to happen in my life with the loss of both my parents. And I put in our planner the title, My Dad Has a Tent. And I got an email this week from Jason to ask if I'm still going with that theme. I could not for the life of me remember what was going through my head when I wrote that title. <laughs> but I thought, we'll still go with that. Uh, he wisely didn't publish that anywhere. But I do want to offer some thoughts under this, under this heading and it'll become clear my dad has a tent in a moment. Uh, I want to offer thoughts to three groups of people in this room today uh, and those who are watching on our stream. Firstly, I want to offer some thoughts to everyone. Uh, then I want to offer some thoughts to fathers and then finally want to offer thoughts to teenagers and young adults. So to everyone, my encouragement to you this morning is simply this. Make it your lifelong priority to know God the Father. Make it your lifelong priority to know God the Father. He is, a, he is an incredibly rich Father. Not, he is in terms of wealth, but I mean in terms of his character and his personhood. And he's uh, deep and complex and joyful and surprising and adventurous and creative and all of these things. And you, you, we'll never come to the end of knowing him. There's so much information we have about him in the scriptures. Uh, one of the, Julie and I have been reading a book 
Um, it's been become a bit of our custom when we go on holidays. We got interrupted and we've recovered it, but we do. We're reading a book, um, and it's called "This Book Changed Everything," or something like that, isn't it? It's called "Yeah," and it's a story about the Bible and how the Bible's impacted the world. And one of the things that we're we're remembering is that there was a time a couple of hundred years ago when the Bible wasn't available in English. It was only available in Latin. It wasn't available to the common people like you and me. And yet we now live in a time where some of you don't even know that there there are Bible people, uh, one called Wycliffe, who was actually killed by the authorities because he dared to translate the Bible into English so that people could read it. So the Bible you have was purchased with someone's blood. That's my point. Do not cheapen it. Do not trivialize it and do not assume that it's always going to be available. We have so many copies of the Bible available to us in so many different forms. But the question is, are we reading the Bible and are we letting the word of God speak to us? Are we discovering who he is? The Bible that you have available to you was purchased with the blood of the martyrs. People, men and women who were convinced that the Bible should be available in the language of the people. To be able to read for themselves. And men and women suffered and died so that we would have that privilege. Don't take it lightly. Do not cheapen the sacrifice of those men and women. Make it your lifelong priority to know God the Father and you will do that by studying the Bible, by reading it over and over and over again. One of the delightful things that we're able to celebrate um, with my mum's Thanksgiving of Life service was the fact that her Bible was well read. She had, she had underlinings on almost every page. She had highlights. Uh, she, had, she had notes written around the margins of lots of pages from thoughts that had, when she'd heard the word expounded or when she'd been reading it, she'd written things. It was a privilege and quite scary to look through that and see some, of, some notes from some of my very early sermons. In my teens, I was preaching and my mum was listening and taking notes. Anyway... As I said, my relationship with my dad developed and changed as I matured and it's changed as I've moved through different stages of life. And this has been true of my relationship with God the Father. And the things that I've discovered is that God is who he is, who he is revealed in the Bible. That's my point. He's good. He truly is good. When, when, when Genesis says... And God created everything and he looked it over all that he had made at the end of the six days of creation and it was good, it was healthy, it was functional. It's a statement of who he is in his person. He is entirely good. He is faultless. He is kind. He is patient. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is faithful to his word. And he disciplines me for his good because he loves me. And it proves that I belong to him, that I'm a genuine son. Because a parent that doesn't care about their child will not discipline them. God is the ultimate father. He is the perfect father and he is truly faultless. 
Now, many of you know the story of when God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt and he was leading them through the wilderness towards the land that he had promised in a covenant that he'd made with Abraham. And one of the things he instructed Moses to do was to what? Set up a tent. My dad has a tent. It's a tent of meeting. And Moses would go into the tent and meet with God face to face. If you ever want to stop and ponder that, that, just do that. What's it like to meet with God face to face? To go into a tent of meeting and meet with him face to face. And then we have this thing that when Moses comes out, Moses has to veil his face because the glory of God is radiating from it. People are blinded by it. When I was younger, in my teenage years, I'm looking at these people in the front rows here and young adults. I wanted that for myself. I wanted to go into his presence and see him face to face and come out and have to wear a mask because I was so people would be blinded by the radiance of his glory shining through me. Maybe you want to make that a prayer for the sacred assembly. Maybe you want to say, God, in this sacred assembly, I'm going to come into the tent of meeting down the road there at 854 Rockingham Road because I want my face to reflect your glory. I want to gaze on your glory. Be a people transformed by his glory. We have access to God, direct access through Christ. As we could unpack all that from the scriptures of how that works. But I'm just going to assume this morning that many of you understand that. But we're also going to go through some readings in the sacred assembly and we'll work through some of these ways. That Christ has opened up, that Christ has has opened up for all of us to have direct access to the Father and to go into his presence. And when Jesus, when you think about what he taught, when he said, when he taught his disciples to pray, he used the, he used the words, our Father. Like this is so, so good. No other God can be called a father. We sing that song. Some of you might know that. Some of you might not know that. But we do. We sing that song. And it is so true. If you were to do a comparative study of all the religions in the world, there's no other religion where God is called father. There's no other religion where God knows the pain and suffering because he's endured the cross. There's no other God like our God. This is the majesty and the mystery of who he is. And when Jesus teaches us to say, you can have access. You've got this access to come and say, Father, our Father. It's a beautiful picture. And again, don't let, don't be, don't let the familiarity of the Lord's prayer dull you to the majesty of this reality. That we have access to the Father. And this is often on the lips of Jesus and one of the things I want to set you as an assignment to do, if you have never done it, read, just read, for example, through Matthew 6. Start with Matthew 6 and just highlight all the times the word Father appears when Jesus is saying, your Father, my Father, our Father. Over and over again throughout Matthew chapter 6, he is like hammering that home to the people. 
One of the sad realities today is that many people live with what we, we call it different things. Victim thinking, we call it orphan thinking, because they, think, they feel like they don't belong. But the truth of the scriptures is God says you belong. God says, I am your father. You are my son, my daughter. It transcends however good or bad our, our heavenly fathers are to be able to say, I have access to that father, to the glorious father who has adopted me, chosen me to be his child. Look, if that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, nothing will. And if that doesn't get you to spit the lemon out of your mouth and stop sucking on it, nothing will. To know you're a child of God. It's a great and glorious thing. Our Father. And Jesus, when he was... Jesus, we had the reading from John 14. And this is the night when Jesus is about to be betrayed. And so we haven't got time to walk through the context. But the thing is, he's, he's saying to his disciples, I'm going away I'm, and where I'm going, you can't come. And so this conversation opens up. What do you mean you're going? Why can't we come? We've been following you for three years. How is it suddenly you're going somewhere and we can't come? It's a fair enough question, isn't it? And Jesus says to them, and Jesus John 13, there's Jesus' anguish. There's the thing of Judas going to betray him. There's the whole thing of the, the squabbling over who's going to be great in the kingdom of God. All these things. Who's the prominent one? So no, and Jesus speaks into it and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Man, we need this word today. Our anxiety-filled world needs to hear the word. We need to be in his presence. We need to go into his tent of meeting and just sit and say, God, I am troubled. Father, please help me not to be troubled. Help me have in this place. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's home. This is such a great thing. You have a home. Think of all the people that are homeless in the world today. The ones in this city, the ones in the war-torn countries, the devastated places, they, they literally do not have a physical home. And the power of this, Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You will have an eternal home. You will forever belong. No one will take you, no one will take this away from you because it's in my father's house. No one's going to bomb that. No one's going to break in and steal from my father's house. He's the ruler of the universe. Like, you don't come any bigger and better than that. And Jesus says this phrase anyone who has seen me has seen the father. It's beautiful. Because the question is, well, show us the Father. And Jesus is going, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Now, um, for those of you who are familiar with Israeli culture and Middle Eastern culture, you will know that a father often sends his firstborn son to represent him. And so this is, this is, this is kind of a normal way of their culture. It's like if you've, if you've seen the son, if you've had a conversation with the son, you've had a conversation with the father, Right? 
You know, sometimes you can pick fathers and sons when they stand next to each other, can't you? You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, so to speak. You know? You chip off the old block. And so the son, this is speaking about the reality that the son carries the father's image and likeness, not just in his physical person, but in his character. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you've seen me, if you've seen who I am, if you've seen me and my character, you've seen the father's character. You want to know what God the father is like? You look at the son. The son is the full representation of the radiance of the father, Paul says. So in, these, in, the, in this culture, a son had the authority of the father. He could make decisions and if he could transact business as if he was the father. He didn't simply represent the father. It was as if the, he, the father would send him on an assignment and the son would know what the father wanted to be done and the son would do it as if he was the father. And the, the son would always make sure that the father's name was honoured. And so it's a significant responsibility, isn't it, to be a son, to bear the name, to honour the name, to make sure we never damage the family name, the father's honour and reputation. Now, we've got a similar thing in our own culture. It's something called enduring power of attorney. Some of you will have heard of this. It's a legal structure that enables us to have them. Several years ago, my father and mother entrusted my sister and I with this, with this power. And while they were living, we could show up and represent them as if we were them. We'd go to banks, we could do all the things. We could buy and sell their house, which we did. We could do all the things that we could do because we had this thing. We were their representatives. And so this is, this is part of what Jesus is saying when he says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. It's he, Jesus saying, I'm like the Father. I carry the Father's likeness. And I'm authorized to represent the Father and to honor his name. And everything I do will honor the Father's name and his reputation. Jesus reveals the Father to us. Now it's because of this that we can have great confidence when we're saying we want to relate to God. A friend of mine a number of years ago met a very uh, troubled young woman and, and mentioned and who had, who had, uh, her father had been incredibly destructive in her life. I'll put it that way. And the whole idea... She's like, if God is anything like my father, I want nothing to do with him. And my friend was able to lead her to Jesus and to say, no, the father, when we speak of God the father, you find out what God the father is by looking at the son. So he introduced her to Jesus and she began a journey of healing through the process of learning more and more about Jesus and understanding that Jesus was the one who was revealing the father to her. And slowly her, her, her image of Father, God the Father transformed and she was able to say, I love him. Catechisms from an ancient Greek word meaning to teach orally. To teach orally. And um, 
Catechism has been an important way of oral disciple making that's been used for centuries. And it engages this question and answer process. And hopefully you got one of these handouts as you also came through the door this morning. And I want us to just read this together. This is question 66 of question 26, sorry, of the Heidelberg Catechism. And I've given it to you today on this Father's Day. Will you read it with me? What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And here's the answer, that the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ, his son, my God and my father. In him, I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. And will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. And you've got this, all the scripture references that that is based on, on that piece of paper. I hope, if you've, I hope you'll keep that piece of paper. I hope it'll take pride of place in your Bible or somewhere. And you'll read it. And parents, I hope you'll teach this to your children. And you'll encourage them and to learn this question and answer process. Right? The Apostles' Creed, which is one that we, we repeat, is like, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. Right? And so this is based on that. It's asking that question. What do you mean when you say that? And we're, you're teaching yourself and we're teaching the child. And these things, when these, these are the truths of Scripture. And when we marinate or soak our lives in the word of God it does its work within us by the power of the Holy Spirit so here's my summary to everyone remember this was a word to everyone then we're going to have a word to fathers which will be shorter than this one in case those of you are wondering when morning tea will be and then there'll be a word to teenagers and young, young adults Anyway, so here's my summary. Let Jesus reveal God the Father to you. Let Jesus reveal God the Father to you. Make it your priority, your lifelong priority to know God as Father and let Jesus reveal him to you. But also let Jesus teach you how to be a son or a daughter who honours the Father and shows others what the Father is like. In essence... Part of the privilege and dignity of being a disciple of Christ is that we ought to be able to say to people something similar to what Jesus said. If you've seen me, you've had a good look at God. Isn't that's a that's a provocative statement, isn't it? All right? People are saying, What's God like? For us, for you and for me to be able to say to people, hang around with me, come and, come and live in my house and you will see what God the Father is like. Wow, that's big, isn't it? Does that scare some of you? I hope so. 
in the best possible way because it's kind of like wow and and that that what i want to evoke this morning is that the cry of father transform me to be like you i'm so far short of that we all are but that reality like so that we become like him so that we honor his name we keep the family going in that way that's what we want you see one of the ways we know that we love god is by the way that we love humans you cannot say you love the god who you cannot see if you do not love the humans that you do see that's my paraphrase of john it's one john somewhere i'm not sure what chapter but you can find it but it, it's so true it's a distortion to think that i am loving god when i'm leaving a trail of destruction in my human relationships isn't it it's a distortion there's something not right but sometimes we need other people to hold up a mirror to us and to say i don't see christ in you someone loved me enough to do that for me the first time when i was about 18 or 19 someone in my church youth group so if you're in a youth group you're in young adults If you aren't speaking to each other and saying I don't see Christ in you, you're not loving each other well. Oh, gee, that's intense, isn't it? Wow. If you're in a house church and many of you are and you're not helping one another, you're not helping one another by pretending. Now you want to do, treat one another with love and you want to do it, you never want to speak out of anger, but you we ought to be holding up mirrors for one another. and saying you say you love god but i see the trail of destruction in your relationships and that concerns me enough to speak to you i can't fix you i'm not going to try to fix you don't do that but just let me hold up a mirror i was fortunate enough to have someone do that when i was young and i've and i've been married to a woman who's done that for 38 years to help me <laughs> now seriously it's been a gift to me it's been painful at times it's not what i want to hear but it's been a gift it's a gift to one another it's loving one another well not superficially any organization can do nice you've heard me say this before any organization can do nice the people who are in relationship with the god who defines what love is are the ones where we want to love that's where people ought to find true love which means love support encouragement and also holding up mirrors and saying i want to encourage you to pursue christ because i see some things that aren't christ like in you fathers couple of thoughts it's the same as just the same make it your lifelong priority to know god the father and ask god to make you a father who's like him wow we need when you know one of the things that really encourages me 
standing up here today because it was part of the thing that we wanted to, that I wanted to do when we began New Life Church. I wanted to to help. I wanted to continue to provoke men to become godly men, godly husbands, and godly fathers. And by God's grace, we've chipped away a bit, blokes. There's a little bit. We've made some progress, but there's more to come. So let's keep going. Keep spurring one another on to be more, be a dad who is more like God, who represents him in your home, in the way that you relate to your wife, in the way that you relate to your children, all of these things, in your workplace, everywhere you go, so that people see the heart of the Father in you because you carry it. Now, this is a scary thing, and I'll tell you why it's a scary thing, and it's something I've had to learn, because it requires us as a man to be vulnerable, and men do not like, I do not like vulnerability. I do not like feeling inadequate. And in case you've never heard it said before, it's a clue for ladies. You'll often, you will usually always see a man's anger when you touch his inadequacy or expose his inadequacy. Not all of, right? It's so true. We, we, we don't like being inadequate because we're trying to be all that we can be or whatever the phrase might be at the time. But, so there's this, there's this pain. So men, it's this thing of, as a dad, you have to embrace the fact that you aren't enough. And that is just the truth about you. But Christ is not given up on you. God's not given up on you. Don't give up on yourself and don't settle for where you're at. It's like I press on to become all that Christ laid hold of me for. And so I need to learn to love. If you think about the love of the Father, how does the Father love his, his human creation, his image bearers who said to him, no thanks, I don't want you. How does he love? The cross defines his love. It says he, held, he keeps his arms open wide to a world that continues to reject him. He continues to allow himself to be hurt in that way through our rejection. Fathers, this is the pain that you will carry in your heart towards your children is the possibility of them rejecting your love. And you choosing to keep moving towards them, not in rage, but with your arms open and continuing to love them. And this is a painful place to live in. And we, it's only sustained by connection to the Father's love. Fathers, we can only sustain and give away the love that we receive from the Father. So that is why it's so vital that we invest and pursue our relationship with God the Father so that we have his love to give away to our own children, our grandchildren, our families and other people around about us. Fathers, also want to encourage you to teach your children to pray. Teach your children to pray. So come and learn to pray with me. doesn't matter whether you feel adequate or not. Again, it's not about whether you can do it. It's like, I'm a lousy prayer. Yeah, I'm a lousy prayer. But like, I'm going to be lousy with you. But we're going to learn this together. We're going to do this together. 
Teach your children to pray. Okay. Could say a lot more to fathers. Obviously, that's a very short time frame to say anything of, of much more than that. Then there could be a lot more things to be said. But I do want to say, like dads of new life, you're all, I think you're all growing. I think you are growing in, in Christ is being formed in you. And keep going. But remember, keep your eyes on the goal. God's the goal. So teenagers and young adults, here. All right. Got three things to say here. First one is the same what we said in the other two. Make it your lifelong priority to know God the Father. Bang. Simple. Got that? Nailed it? Good. All right. Here. Now this is the other bit. Be curious about your own dad. Take a posture of curiosity about your dad. I'm going to unpack that a bit more in a minute. And the third thing is forgive your father as God in Christ has forgiven you. Walk in forgiveness towards your father as God in Christ has forgiven you. All right, so just take a couple of minutes around those two things here. Be curious to learn about your father and forgive your father as God has forgiven you. When I was a self-centered teenager, I was preoccupied for a while with what my dad didn't give me that I thought I needed. And I probably did need some of those things that I think he didn't give me. But I had no idea about his world. I had no idea what it was like to be trying to uh, put a roof over, over our heads on a single income to provide food and clothing and shelter for a family of four children plus him and mum on a single income. I had no idea of the pressures and I never thought about that. I never thought about what he was going through. I was just pointing the finger and accusing him of failing me. But my heart towards my dad changed when I began to give thanks to God for what my dad did provide. Because my dad did provide a roof over our heads. He did provide clothes for us. He did provide food for us. Provided a lot of things. One of the things I'm very glad about is some of the things my dad didn't do. My dad never came home drunk. I'm very glad about that. My dad never smoked. He might have smoked before I was born. I don't know about that. I wasn't there. I don't think so. But there's a whole lot of things, you see. So again, it's where you place your emphasis. If you place it on you and what you think you should get, that list is really long. But if you start to flip that around and go, actually, I need to learn about my dad. And so I became curious about my dad as a person. I began to wonder what life was like for him, what it was like for him going to work each day, all that kind of, doing his job, all those things. He faithfully did for, I forget how many years it was now. He was aiming to make, he was aiming to work for, he started work as a 14-year-old. He retired at the age of 62, 
early retirement. My dad was big on milestones and he, he was hoping to get to 50 years um, in the workforce, but uh, it didn't happen. Anyway, but I began to sit with my dad and ask him about his life and about what life was like for him growing up. And I began to ask him about his dad because my grandfather died when I was six, so I, I didn't know him. I have very few memories of him. And one of the things I discovered is that there were things that were, there were forces that formed my dad, if you like, growing up in the Great Depression and everyone struggling and all those kind of things and going on. Um, And apparently my grandfather was a very hard and difficult man who didn't know God as father, my grandfather. And so I learnt from my mum that my dad was a better man than his dad. And my dad was a better father to me than his father was to him. And that began to shift things. My wife tells me that I'm a better man, a better husband and father than my father was. My sons are still young. But I think they're doing better than I was at their age. They have a greater understanding of God the Father. They know him. So for teenagers and young adults, take a posture of curiosity. Ask questions that will help you know your, your father. And that's not just for young adults and teenagers. We can all do that. If your father's still alive, take it as an opportunity to ask questions and adopt a position required and understand his life. What was life for him growing up? Be curious. What were the challenges that he faced? What were the things that he was afraid of when he was growing up? And what are the things that he enjoyed about growing up? There's just a couple of questions you can get, get the ball rolling, so to speak. And then, but the key, again, I want to finish with this, forgive as God has forgiven you. All of, our, all of our dads are frail human beings who've had life-shaping experiences that we don't know about. We all have things we have to forgive our dad for and it's important that we forgive him because we have been forgiven in Christ. It's the one who's... You know, it's that I'm coming back to where Julie was in the Feast of Jesus. The two people who owed a debt. Neither could repay the debt. And it's what we do with that. And we go, God, I need you to forgive me, my debt to you. And so therefore I release my father and forgive him. Release him from the need to suffer for the suffering he inflicted on me if that's your situation it might not be your situation and don't take that on board um, if that wasn't but for some of you that will be what you need to do is to forgive your father as God your father has forgiven you in Christ Jesus will you pray with me as we close this morning I say it's simply this Jesus thank you that you've shown us the father thank you that we know what the Father is like because we look at you. 
We gaze on you, Jesus, and we see the Father. We see his character. We see what he is like. You bear his image and likeness. And we are also, in some way, we bear that same image and likeness because we're made in his image. And so, Father, I ask you to deliver us from our slave drivers so that we can enter your tent of meeting and gaze on you face to face. Be transformed by your glorious presence. I thank you, Father, that in your presence we can find rest for our weary and anxious souls. Today we choose to forgive our fathers as you have forgiven us. We release them from the need to suffer for the ways they have sinned against us. We ask you to have mercy on them just as you have had mercy on us. Our Father, my prayer is that you will continue that process to transform every father here to become more like you. We've not yet become all that you laid hold of us for in Christ. Then, Father, transform us all to be sons and daughters who honour your name and reputation just like Jesus did. That when people see us, we can say, if you've seen me, you've got an idea of what God looks like. Our Father, may your name be honoured. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may your kingdom come soon. With the return of the king, Jesus the king. I pray in his name. Amen.